You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, I sat down with Mr. Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. I don't know a ton about Spencer. Well, I didn't know a ton about Spencer. Uh, We met once. And it was random and weird in the rain, in the dark, and he is very small and I'm very large, so I think I terrified him uh, coming up behind him, but I wanted to say hi um, as you know, he's managed by my good, good friend, Mike Mowry, and uh, he wanted us to, to meet each other because we wanted to do an episode of the show. So when I saw him by the trailer, uh, I, of course, I'm always moving pretty fast and kind of came up behind him, didn't notice he didn't see me, and yeah, we talk about it in the episode, it's pretty funny, but... Uh, Spencer's an awesome dude. He's a great front man. Uh, just has that natural charisma. I think we also talked about that on the episode. Um, but he just got that it factor. Um, not everyone has that. You can't teach it. You either have it or you don't. He's just a natural showman. He is a natural uh, marketer. He he markets that band like nothing I've ever seen. The the marketing ideas he has, uh, the vision. You know, um, they've been a band a long time. They started out as a ska band way back in the day, and now they are on my old label, Fearless, um, doing great things with Ice Nine Kills and just blowing up, uh, which sucks with this whole uh, no one's touring thing because they're really gaining momentum, and I think they've done some awesome 
of course, marketing to keep themselves in the forefront um, as this whole thing passes. And it's awesome to see that. They just did a cover of, uh, well, a reimagining of Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne. And they did it about Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th saga. And uh, it's fucking hilarious. So you guys need to go check that out. Just go to YouTube, do Google Ice Nine Kills, uh, Jason's Mom. Change the lyrics. They're hilarious. Uh, they all did it. You know, this this whole quarantine, everyone in a different space, recording their own parts and then sending them together. I, I don't I can't imagine how that goes because it seems like an absolute bitch to uh, edit that. But a lot of people are doing it and it looks really good and it's hilarious. So uh, go check out their YouTube video for Jason's mom. And if you don't know the band, just go check them out on Spotify. Um, you know, they, they're very horror, uh, influenced. This newest record they have is called the silver scream. And each song delves into another movie or series. Um, and he's done an album about different books in the horror genre. Anyway. So this one, we go into a lot about horror movies and the whole genre, the whole scene, because I am not a horror fan. So this was fun for me to do because I don't know a lot about it. Spencer is completely uh, immersed in it and very well versed. And so we had a really cool chat about that. Um, it goes all over the place. We talk about his childhood, his parents. Um, yeah, I'm not just going to line the whole thing out for you guys. You guys can hear it. But this is like what I'm trying to say is this is going to be a good one for horror fans to gain some more perspective from a really huge horror fan. Uh, and people that aren't, you may find interest in it as well. So anyways, let's get some business out of the way. Uh, PurePleasurePodcast.com is the website. Uh, it's got everything on there, show notes, all the episodes. There's a whole playlist of um, you can. So it's put it this way. If you tell a friend for the first time, hey, go check out, you know, Peer Pleasure Podcast. If they go to the website, uh, Megaphone has a play. Megaphone's our hosting platform for Jabberjaw. And they, there's a playlist on there. And you can when you go to it, it basically has all the episodes. They can scroll through and find one they immediately know they'll like. And check it out, um, and maybe they'll get hooked. Who knows? Um, and yeah, we've gotten some awesome feedback lately. Um, we had uh, a couple people have reached out saying they've listened to every single episode of the show, and this uh, I believe this is episode one fifty one. So that's at an average of an hour a piece. That's one hundred and fifty hours of listening to me ramble on with random people through the entertainment industry which is awesome to know that people are putting in that much time and I can't say how much I appreciate it because uh you know I can't imagine putting that much time into one thing but over time I guess it's a lot easier to do it if you just listen week after week which a lot of you guys do but I appreciate the time guys a time is precious you don't get that time back and I really hope that uh what I'm doing is coming through for you and giving you something to escape what's going on, uh, uplift you in some way, help you out of a bad situation, you know, uh, maybe just help you identify with a similar uh, bad or good situation. But the time is invaluable. Um, you know, any amount of money you could throw at something, uh, you, you think of an hour of life, an hour, think of an hour and a half of life, average probably an hour and a half episode, an hour and a half of life for someone that does not have that you know, to look forward to is priceless. And I think we take it for granted um, what we spend our time doing. So hopefully when you're listening to this, you're doing something else uh, productive and just letting uh, my voice and the other person, you know, just kind of go into your subconscious and gather something 
while being productive because life's short and uh yeah i just really appreciate it um appreciate having you guys week after week uh i want you guys to check out thunderbolt guitars on instagram nick over in detroit made me a custom guitar it's the most badass guitar i've ever played send him some ideas get some prices see what he could do for you he's he's completely open to ideas which is so badass with a guitar company because once a guitar company gets off and rolling and they're so busy with what they do, it's hard to get anything truly customized. So uh, now's the time to get in with Nick and get your idea uh, made into a reality. It's like nothing I've ever seen, guys. Seriously, check out Thunderbolt Guitars. Um, all right, guys, I've been rambling on. This is I'm at six minutes already. And uh, I try to keep these intros really short because I know you guys don't want to just hear me ramble on. Um, maybe you do. If you do, write me. Let me know. But uh I like to just get into the episode. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with my man, Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. He lies a lifeless bride and groom till death to us part came far too soon. Buildings burn and people die all of the time. But I heard that you reap what you sow. So Spencer. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. Excellent. Are we all good? I'm all set. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you just fine, man. Great. I can hear you just fine. How's your day, man? Doing well, man. Just uh, adjusting to uh, the new world. How about you? <laughs> Same. But for me, it's a little different because I've been back to work uh, for a while. So it's it literally... I get up and I go to work and I come home, play with the kids and then go to sleep. Like it's a normal day unless I go to the grocery store, then everyone's wearing masks. But it's uh, it kind of helps keep you out of it a little bit if you're working. But, man, it's it's been strange. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's been really strange. So you're on you're on lockdown. You're down in California, right? Correct. OK, so you're where, where are you at? I'm in Portland. I love Portland. Yeah, I do one too. Of favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite places uh, to tour. I just always love going there. And I remember last time we were there, I had you know the, the basically the day off until sound check, and uh, just took like a um, one of those scooter rides with like the limes around one of the parks. There is just really beautiful. This is a great day in in the spring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one I think we were one of the pilot cities for that, those scooter scooter things. I think someone got killed on it and they 
pulled it or something. I don't know, but it's been back. They've they've got actual, they've got like motorcycles, but they're not motorcycle. They look like like a like a fat tire motorcycle, but they're for rent. Like you literally look with the app and you can drive it on the. It's crazy. They, and you don't need like a special motorcycle license to ride those. No, no, and they only go like I think they go like twenty five or thirty or something like that. But like they. You take them in the bike lane, I think, is what I've seen people using them. I've not used them, but I I thought someone was selling it or something. I'm like that thing's kind of cool, and then I see another one and another one, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so yeah, shit's getting That's weird, insane. crazy. But uh, yeah, and then and Jerry Stiller died. What? The yeah, hell? I know. It's such a bummer. He's the best, the absolute best. Now maybe everyone will celebrate Festivus this year. I, I festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> I just saw that this morning. I was I was kind of crushed. I was like, "Well, he's ninety two years old, so it wasn't like that big of a surprise." But shit, man, what I a know. legend! He's an absolute legend and, and stole all the scenes he was ever in. He was great. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, dude, this is cool. I've 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 wanted to do this one for a while. I know we met briefly through and i think i scared the shit out of you once <laughs> if i remember right at your trailer at, in portland because i was uh mike got me into the show and, and you and i had not met yet and and uh, he's like you should go say hi to spencer i was like well if i see him i will and i think you were like digging in the trailer or something it was pouring down rain it was totally a movie scene and i'm you know six foot five three hundred and something pounds come up behind you like hey spencer and you turned around so fast and I was like, whoa, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm Mike's buddy. And then everything calmed down for a second. I was like, man, I think I I think I may have like freaked you the fuck out. Uh so I apologize for that off the bat. But uh No, was so was that the last time we may have been the last time we played in Portland when Fallen Reverse didn't show and we headlined? No, this was you guys were headlining at the analog cafe. Um and- Oh wow. Yeah, uh, yes, you remember. It's like a, almost like a VFW upstairs kind of a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I do remember that place. I think we played there twice. Once with Chelsea Grin, and then one time with the headlining show. Yeah, this was with uh, what's his name, Jason, Jason something. Uh, I think he plays for Chelsea Grin or did the, the super good guitar player. Um, yes, Jason. Uh, oh, I can't remember it. It's. Like a totally normal name, which just makes it so hard to remember. Richardson. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, yeah, he's in all that remains now, right? Yeah, Jason Richardson. I think is it. I think is it. But yeah, that was Maori was texting me through the show because I'd never seen you guys before, and he's like, "How's it going?" And I was like, "Well, they're playing like it's a fucking stadium. Like, yeah, that's one thing. Like a club so small, you guys really brought it. It was that was what really impressed me. Was like." There's like there's a you know, a good amount of people there, but you guys were playing like it was like main stage warp tour, like the energy, <laughs> the power, the the uh, you know you had the crowd moving. I love seeing that stuff, you know, especially in a smaller venue. And I was like, these guys are going to be massive because <laughs> it. Thanks, you just look at how you portray yourself, you know, and how you how you you know play every show like it's a huge fucking show because it is. I mean, it, you never know who's there watching, you know, and and. Uh, it's it's a cool thing to see. So I've been talking to Mike about this for a long time, and it's like, finally, like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> Everyone's home. Make it happen. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you bet, brother. So uh, 
I don't know a lot about you or where you come from. You come? Do you come from the East Coast? Yes, originally from uh, just north of Boston, uh, and uh, basically was there most of my life. Very close to the town of Salem, uh, Massachusetts, which obviously has a sort of a sinister historical story uh, revolving around the witch trials and stuff. So I think that sort of seeped into my subconscious and then ended up moving to Salem for a few years where um, my family still lives there. And uh, a couple of years back, I made the uh, move out to Los Angeles and uh, I've been here ever since. Man. When I'm not on the road, when I'm not on the road, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Are you an only child? I know I have a sister, older sister who lives in New York. Okay. Uh, she, she's great. She's a, a psychologist and she's always, um, we're always getting into debates about, you know, why people like horror and stuff. So that's always a fun, fun topic for us. Yeah. What does she, what does she say that doesn't agree with what you think on that? If, I, on debating that. Well, I think that, uh, she doesn't think horror is evil or anything, but I think, uh, we differ in our ideas of entertainment. You know, I'm the kind of person who thinks, you know, anything, anything goes because you, you should be able to separate uh, entertainment from reality. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with excessive violence in entertainment. And I think uh, anyone who can try to blame real life violence on it, I, I think is, is, is misguided. I got that. Okay. So I see, I think it's weird for me. I, I've not been a huge, I, I, I don't know how I feel on horror because it seems almost like it, when I watch a horror movie, it's almost like I, I get angry because with the music and like the loud noises and stuff, like, obviously it's going to freak you out when something hits and it almost seems like, you know, it's going to happen. You're just not quite sure when, and then it happens and you're like, fuck, you got me. Even though I knew it was going to happen, I I get like I look at it that way. Like it stresses me out because I'm like, okay, something's going to happen here, and I'm trying to be ready for it, but then I jump every time. And so I've never branched out hugely into horror because of that. Like I've just been more into like comedies and and uh, you know dramas and and shit like that. Um, so that's what's fascinating about you is is how far you're into the horror genre. And how much you know about it, you know, um, we used to go to video stores back when they existed. And how old are you, Spencer? I'm 34. So I was very much brought up in that day as well. Okay. So did you ever go and just kind of sift through the covers and pick what looked cool or what was a cool name, but to kind of get into that? Or did you have very specific things you were looking for? No, that's exactly how I got into horror in the first place i would gaze upon the covers the vhs covers in the video store usually when my uh, mom went shopping that's how i would kill time because there was a video store within the supermarket so that that's how i killed time and, and for whatever reason always wanted to go into that aisle that said horror Wow. Okay. Because I remember one of the movies that always sticks out in my mind was I Spit on Your Grave. And we got oh, yeah. it because of the title. And then I, there was either a sequel or maybe that was the sequel to I Piss on Your Grave. And it, if I remember right, and it was always like, that's the most fucked up name I've ever heard. Like, we have to rent this. And then we rented it and it was just this girl getting like abused left and right. Uh, 
like it was just like we I don't know how many times we watched it, but it was just like we have to find more of these movies. And then eventually we the more we watched it did that thing where, where I was talking about where it kind of would stress me out like, fuck, this is going to just hit me. And, and I just kind of got away from it. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of the guys in the band would, would, were totally into it and still are. Um, but now I find myself watching a lot of Disney plus cause of my kids. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I do remember that title and actually that one is really brutal. And, uh, there's no, there's no comedy value in that. No, one. I think the, the first time I heard about that movie is one they made a joke in the original Scream and the girl in Scream is about to be attacked in the garage and she says to the killer, because she doesn't realize that this is the killer. She thinks it's just one of her friends in the ghost face costume. And she says, well, what is this? I spit on your garage. So that's <laughs> how, that's the first time I think I, I, I heard, I was like, what does that mean? I, and I checked out, I spit on your garage. That didn't exist. And then someone explained to me, no, that was a joke. It was, it was talking about I spit in your grave, and that's how I found out about that film. Man, what what did your parents think of your your fascination with horror movies? They were always very cool about it, and let me see the movies at a very young age. I think they thought I would grow out of it, but they were never like super huge horror fans. But I think respected the genre. They always told me about this really interesting story when they were pregnant with my uh, sister, they went to see uh, a film called invasion of the body snatchers back in, in 1978. And in those days, I guess it was very common for there to be um, like a sneak preview before the, the film you went to see, it'd be like a double feature. So you'd buy a ticket for invasion of the body snatchers. And there was another film so they went to Invasion of the Body Snatchers and then saw this film uh, before it. And it they said it was the, the scariest movie they ever saw. They'd never seen anything like it. And after that film finished, it made Invasion of the Body Snatchers seem like really tame and, and kind of not scary. And that film was Halloween. So I think that that, um, that whole story always really interested me that – imagine not knowing what Halloween was and going to see that, especially in that time where there weren't really those movies out. And I think, um, I think maybe that was part of the reason they liked the genre enough to let, at least let me see it. Mm -hmm. That's so that kind of, that brings to an interesting point too, is, is a lot of parents think like we were talking about a second ago, like if violence, extreme violence, you know, in movies, video games, things like that can, drive people to do other things but it seems like most like especially like podcast wise like true crime podcasts like there's some fucked up things that people do to each other and i know a lot of these a lot of these movies get ideas from actual real events uh or real action from people that were not influenced by them at all um and so it's kind of a, a crazy thing to think that this these movies or video games inspire you know, uh, violence in a way that people, you know, everyone wants to find a scapegoat when something bad happens, you know, like with Columbine, it was Marilyn Manson and, and, uh, video games and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, have you guys ever had that backlash at all from you guys being so, uh, uh, visible from that genre? Yes. Uh, the, the, the funniest instance of that 
was when we were not allowed to play at the Orlando House of Blues because it's a Disney-owned venue. And we got the call about, I think, two months before the, to- the tour was supposed to be starting. And they said that we can't play that day. And I was like, you know, I asked my agent, Eric, I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, it's a Disney-owned venue, and they have a long history of banning bands. And they've banned Cannibal Corpse and Every Time I Die and a, a number of other bands. And I, I think I think that they just see the list of bands that are, you know, proposed to play. And if they has Die or Kill or something in it or some, something questionable, they look into it a little further and they found that they didn't like our imagery. They thought it was too evil to be associated with Disney. So there was, th- there was that, but then it, instead of kind of whining about it on our end, we just put up a really funny line of t-shirts, which took Disney characters and made them into the villains from the slasher films. And it was actually <laughs> one of our most successful uh, merchandise lines we've ever had. So it turned out to be really good for the band because we got all this press from a number of different media outlets online covering the story and it was it ended up being really funny and uh that that, that's really the the biggest backlash we ever saw wow did that did they end up letting you play then after all that shit happened or does that did show never happen but you made the best of us no the tour the tour played the show it was um falling in reverse headlining tour and we were direct support and the, the, the whole package played except us, but we did book a show in Orlando for a couple months later and it like sold out instantaneously. And it was, it was marketed as our revenge show. And we had, um, we had someone in costume there dressed up as Mickey and we brought the person on stage and, <laughs> uh, had, had, had them protesting outside. It, it was a fun it was a fun little bit, and uh, we're actually going to be releasing just a, a very mini documentary about that uh, about that night, and uh, it features Mickey on stage with us. So, oh, that's awesome! Look out for that. What uh, what this is this this will circle around. But what do your what do your folks do for work? My dad is a lawyer. Okay, and and my mom uh, is a dental hygienist. She's uh, since retired, but that's what. That's what she did as I was growing up. Interesting, because you have you have a very uh, interesting and uh, I think a very excellent um, knowledge of marketing and uh, like marketing yourself, marketing the band. Uh, and I'm wondering where that comes from, that spark, because, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people's parents, you know, were either in marketing or sales or something where they were kind of exposed to that and what happens when you do certain things, but it doesn't seem like that's the case for you. Where do you, where do you get that from? Well, I think both of my parents are, are, they're very smart people and they're very clever and they have, they have um, great sense of humor and well, and thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Uh, from, for marketing to me, I, I think probably that's where it comes from. Everything is sort of done with that, with a wry sense of humor Um and I'm always drawn to to plays on words and and catchy phrases. I think it, it, you know it, it must have come down from them, and then a, a combination of that, and always for whatever reason appreciating good marketing uh, that I have seen with either movies or or music or television. Um, any any time I see great marketing, I, I really take a step back and applaud it and. 
And um, I remember one uh, piece of marketing that was particularly captivating that I saw in the last few years. There was a movie that Blumhouse put out um, called The Gallows, and it takes place in a high school where there's a, a ghost. It's sort of a found footage film. And in the trailer, they used the song Smells Like Teen Spirit, but they did a very different version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. It was like this stripped down, really haunting version with a girl singing. And they, they changed the chords. And, uh, you know, the, 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 ta- the tagline was every school has its spirit, you know, referring to the ghost. And I just thought, I was just thinking, wow, this is brilliant marketing. So whenever I see that kind of stuff, I think it, it influences me in, in, in some ways. And it, it's, it's like a rush to, to try to figure out how to market something for me. And, and when you finally land on something that, that people go, ooh, like that, that makes me always have an excited feeling. Mm-hmm. That, that, see, that, see, that ties in a lot with, with what I'm thinking because, I mean, like horror is, not, horror is a pretty big genre, but it's also kind of a – and you look at like main mainstream society, it's kind of this offshoot kind of niche thing where you know a lot of people can look past it also with the marketing thing where marketing's you know really good marketing is supposed to make the general public not know they're being peddled to or or sold uh something but the fact that you see it acknowledge it and then applaud it is super interesting because it's something that you know the average joe doesn't do they'll go buy the product and not think another thing about it or go see the movie they don't. I mean, they're they're blind to it. Like because it's super super focused and really good marketing is you know never really seen. Um, that's interesting that you you picked that out. Um, no, absolutely. And, and um, you know there are other great examples too. Like you know I'm a huge horror fan. Not only do I love the films, but I love watching documentaries about how those films were made. And um, I remember watching one about Friday the Thirteenth and how the producer and director of the original uh, didn't even have a script, but had just the title Friday the 13th. And he put an ad in variety back in, you know, the late seventies advertising the film. And it said that the, the most terrifying film ever made, he didn't even have a script. He just put it out to gauge whether a, he was going to get sued if someone used the title and B to garner interest. And as soon as the ad run ran, he got these calls like, what is this film? We want to see it. So stuff like that, that's like kind of ballsy and uh, hustling kind of vibe. That, that always is so interesting to me. And for me, I think, you know, obviously making money is great and, and, and stuff. But when I'm thinking about marketing, it really doesn't come from that place. It comes from just the, the excitement of, of, of being able to get people excited about something. And if it, if it works out and, and yields sales, that's great. But it's more about the thrill of doing something that people really respond to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got, you do that in a lot of ways. I mean, from marketing the band alone to, you know, being out on stage in front of a crowd of people, getting them fired up, you know, that was one thing there's, there's, and I was talking about it with you earlier, just, but there's something and and Maury and I have talked about this too because we've been buddies a while now. And, and I think he was managing you guys when we first met, uh, you know. And he would, he would always tell me like, you know, Spencer just has it. Like he's got what he's got what it takes. Like he's got it that thing. And 
it's the thing that everyone talks about. There's this, there's this, it's, and I hate to use the word star power, but there's this charisma. Um, and this isn't going to be just an ass kissing, uh, conversation, <laughs> but there's this charisma you can't teach. Like you either have it or you don't. And when you walked out on stage, I had still, I had never seen you before. I was sitting at like the side stage, um, and the band had already started, like the, the music was coming in. And then you walked out and just stood up and everyone just fucking went crazy. And you just handled it. Like you just dealt, like you handled it. Like it was, it was professional, and but it wasn't forced. You know, if that makes sense, it was, it was extremely professional, but it was real. And, but that charisma, I felt it because my eyes didn't go anywhere else. Most of the set. Because I was just like, all right, what's coming next? What's coming next? And it was just so fun to watch. And there's certain people that have that, and there's a lot of people that don't. But you have that. <laughs> so that's what's so cool about it. You've got all these interesting things about you outside of jumping on that stage and controlling that crowd, which is a hard thing to do. Uh, you know, it looks easy from the crowd, but actually being up there and and having the the control over that many people, and to, you know, it's a cool feeling, but at the same time, it's got to be done right. And that's what you're doing. So uh, it's just a, it's fascinating all around. And, and like I say, Mary and I talk about that all the time. Like just the, the, we'll put on something and be like, this person just doesn't have it. You know, this person does, this person doesn't, but it's always been, you know, Spencer has this thing and it's just, it's there and it's, it's going. So cheers to you on that. But, um, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. But taking it from the stage to, you know, to everything, every other facet, you know, especially now that the stage isn't available, um, you know, the the merch stuff you're doing where you're releasing. I think last time Mike and I were together was I was down in L.A. and he was talking about the jaw. I think it was the Jaws release uh, merch, like how you guys are, are, you know, using marketing, but also, you know, giving the fans what they want, um, but being able to stay afloat you know, without being able to tour. I mean, these ideas are really interesting where you've got, you've got your clothing line, but then you do these merch drops. What's going on guys. This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from equal vision records. As you guys know, equal vision records is my family. And so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got hot water music with their 10th studio album vows out May 10th. Featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June, and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. EqualVision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on EqualVision Records, you're always going to find something you like at EqualVision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and B-Well's new 7-inch now.
What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. 
So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. The, the, uh, it's for like a different movie every time, right? That's how that works. Yeah. Uh- Nightmare on the Ninth, yeah. Yeah, Nightmare and, on the Ninth. Uh, Tell me about that, yeah. because that's something I've never seen before. Well, thank you. And, and uh, I really, uh, honestly, I got the idea, you know, I live in Los Angeles now, and I would be eating breakfast on Fairfax all the time, a few of my favorite restaurants there. And I would constantly be in awe of the line wrapped around the corner to get into the Supreme store which I think is like their flagship store in, in Los Angeles or, or one of them. I don't know if it's the original store or whatever, but I was fascinated by thinking, you know, what, what is going on at Supreme that the people are so diehard and just doing a little bit more research into it. It's a very simple concept. It, it's, it's collectibles that, that come and then they go. And I think that it's always those kind of simple marketing uh, techniques uh, that 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 excite people, and 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 that's the kind of stuff that excited me when I was growing up and and obsessed with these movies and these bands. I wanted to collect everything, and we just sort of adapted that to the Ice Nine Kills brand and try to make an event out of every different launch. You know, we don't just do. We usually don't just do photos. We do a video trailer that features the merch, and we try to make everything trying to seem larger than life, like those films. And our fans are so awesome. You know, everyone says they have the best fans, but we really, we really do. They're just so supportive of us. They've got great taste in, in collectible items and uh, we we couldn't do it without them. And it's, it's really cool to be able to provide them something to look forward to. And, and, and that's what we've been doing um, with, with great success. And it's always a fun project and, We've got a whole team behind the, the scenes that, that, that is absolutely pivotal in, in everything we do in that respect. You know, we work with Absolute Merch and they're heavily involved. Um, obviously, Mike and the management team. And we've got a great artist, Mike Cortada, who does basically all the art we do on those drops. And uh, it's just a great team effort. And it, it's, it's cool to uh, have that sort of in our back pocket in the sense that there's a plan every month for merchandise. It's not just like sort of at a whim. Oh, we should release a new shirt. It's all very planned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, the creative side um, to what you're doing and, and kind of where you get that creative spark from. But where does the leadership spark come from for you, Spencer? Cause you're, I mean, it seems like you're a born leader. Like you're, you're thinking ahead. Uh, you know, you give like simple things, simple, looking at it like a a sociology experiment in this conversation, like, you know, you give credit to your team, which is a huge, a leader does that. Right. But like, uh, 
at the same time, you're planning ahead, you're coming up with ideas, but you're also leading this band that has been around for a really long time, uh, you know, and people come and go as in every band, right? But you've been the consistent leader. Do you remember where that came from for you? Like, what, did you play sports as a kid? Did you, I mean, when did you get that taste of, of or, or opportunity to become a leader? I think it just necess- uh, just naturally fell into place. Um, I think uh, the first time I really exhibited leadership skills is, w- is when I formed the band back in high school. And the guys that I was working with, you know, most of those guys are still some of my best friends. And I think the key was not only me being a good leader, but them realizing that I was the leader. And, and and being like, this is kind of Spencer's show, and I know he's not going to do us wrong. So it, it, I think it, it really started from that. And, you know, the other guys that I formed the band with, great musicians, great people, great talent. I think I was the one that always had sort of uh, the clearest vision of what I wanted and always was the guy sort of never not thinking about the band. You know, I didn't, I didn't do anything in high school. All I did every day was just think about, you know, how, how do we get signed or, or what, are, what is our next demo going to be like or, and all this stuff. And I think it just sort of fell into place uh, in that regard. I, I never really woke up one day and I said, I'm going to be the, the leader here. It just, it just kind of happened organically. That seems to be the best way too. That's, that's interesting that it happened with the band or not even before that, but that, that big moment when it started, because I mean, I've been there too with, with, uh, John from when we were in anatomy of a ghost first, but when he moved down from Alaska before Portugal, the man, he would, uh, we actually had jobs. He moved down. He would just talk to fans online. He would, uh, write music. Like we paid the rent. He didn't do, he didn't work. Like we just had, cause he had the, vi- he had the plan, like the vision, the plan, the songs, and so I know exactly what you're talking about from the other side. I was the guy, you know, like a parts guy and and had been in it, you know, from the beginning. But he always had that vision. So we kept him moving like we we would do what we had to do to keep him focused uh, or, or be able to focus. He was always focused, but uh, took the weight of other things off of him so he could create. Um, it's just an interesting thing how that happens. It, it does happen in a natural way. And you just all kind of realize it. <laughs> No, absolutely. And I think that uh, an, an equally important part of being of, of having a good team is not just a good leader, but people who can identify that someone else is the leader. And that takes a certain bit of it takes um, a lot of security. You know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, I've, I've met people who I, I didn't work well with because I think that sort of stood in the way in the sense that in a situation where everyone wants to be the leader, mm-hmm. nothing is ever going to get accomplished. And uh, it's such an important part of the team to have great people working with you that realize, hey, my job here isn't to think to, to necessarily think of these ideas. It's to carry out what the leader's ideas are, because I believe in that person. And that, and that, that takes um, a very uh, strong person to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, tell me as well, I asked this a lot, you know, when you found your voice, um, because 
the band did not start out as a heavy band from what what i've seen it was it was a completely different style band right it, was, it used to be called just ice nine right correct yeah when we started out we were very much a, a pop punk ska band in the um in the style of late uh, mid to late 90s through early 2000s pop punk and ska music that that's that's like the first uh music that i really gravitated towards that made me want to start my own band you know i was influenced to, to pick up a guitar by by the the whole seattle scene like Nirvana and soundgarden alice in chains and pearl jam and all the alternative rock in the 90s um and i loved bands like corn um and limp biscuit and that whole like family values tour scene i actually went, i actually went to the first family values tour i was let's see i was 12 probably at the time and uh but it was a it was a Goldfinger show uh, at the Worcester Palladium. It's the first time I had ever gone to that venue. That made me want to start writing my own music because before that we were just cover bands. And um, yeah, that's how we started. We started in that world, and I still love those bands, and we still have that little bit of a tinge on our songs, even though they're really heavy. To the point where on the last album, you know, we're not featuring guest performances by heavy bands were featuring phoenix tx and less than jake uh-huh. and finch and mest um so it, it's cool to still have that influence in the band absolutely so you're friends with the finch guys yeah i'm, I'm friends uh, i really only know randy very well r2k um, <laughs> r2k shout out correct. to randy he listens to this show we, we talk all the time uh, oh yeah, Randy's great, yeah. and uh, he just happened to be living in Salem, and I met him randomly at a bar one night because he was friends with Joe, uh, who would end up becoming uh, our bassist and singer, and uh, we just clicked and uh, started writing music together. Um, and uh, we had this one song that was so clearly influenced by Finch, and I was like, "We got to get Randy to." to to play on this song and, and he did and it, he uh he did a great job and has joined us on stage to play it uh which was really cool oh rad man yeah he's great yeah i didn't i didn't mention to him we were talking today but uh yeah he's, yeah shout out to randy he's he's a badass so and, and funny thing when we first moved down from alaska to like to do this thing like to try to get signed and tour the first show we saw in portland was goldfinger and a um and yeah, Goldfinger and A, which is Daniel P. Carter's band, was Daniel P. Carter's band. He does the Swim podcast. Uh, he's oh, yeah. on BBC Radio 1 in, in the UK. Um, so, yeah, it all ties. So I, and I have John Feldman on, on, on this coming Friday um, on the show. Oh, awesome. Which I know you guys are, are hanging and, and doing things, and, and which is also really awesome to hear because I would love to hear how that's going to work out. And I know uh, – we can always cut this stuff out if it's not been announced yet, but um, I'm fascinated to hear what's going to come out of that collaboration because uh, yeah, it's. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, it's, it's a trip to, to sit down with uh, one of the people who influenced you to play and write music. And uh, he, he's awesome. And it, it, you know, just on the last months for the first time, I really met him um, in a, um, songwriting sense and uh we've been getting along great and coming up with some great stuff that's awesome man he is a firecracker 
He is yeah. one of the most high energy individuals I've ever met. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm stoked to hear that stuff. So, but when when did you when did you find your voice as far as the heavy side? Like, what turned you from that? That uh, I mean, because you're you've got the Nirvana influence, you've got the the uh, you know kind of the the early two thousands Warp Tour scene uh, influence pop punk, which definitely influenced the melody side of it. But the because the screaming and the 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 heavy side is fairly on the extreme side with Ice Nine, where it is. Yeah. Where did you find your voice and interest in even going that direction? Well, in the '90s, as I loved the alternative rock and and started to love punk, and um, I did like really like heavy like heavy bands, like mainstream bands, like Metallica. Like I remember going to see Metallica with my dad on uh, the Load album cycle. Um, at the Boston Garden at the time, who was called, you know, where where the Bruins and Celtics would play. So I always had a little bit of a, a, a metal taste as well. I always loved that and was obsessed, really obsessed with Metallica. Um, as far as getting into the screaming kind of stuff, that started in high school. Um, and I have to credit bands like, um, on the, the more metal side, like bands like As I Lay Dying, and a Treyu, um, and on more of the screamo side, you know, I was a huge drive-through fan for pop punk at the beginning, and then they started to sign bands like Finch um, and Census Fail that had screaming, and it was sort of uh, a melting pot of all those forces coming in that I started to really like bands that also used not clean, not just clean vocals, and really, uh, really got into that. Okay. How do you, how do you, uh, what do you enjoy more on stage? And, you know, even it may differ from recording to on stage, but, you know, the really heavy screamy style stuff or the big melody, uh, more orchestral parts of the band. Like, where do you get the most, um, the most excitement when you're, when you're doing it? I mean, is, is, is there one or the other that's more prevalent for you that you enjoy? It's really a combination, uh, and that's why I kind of like doing music that has both because it's like I get the, the same high off a great, uh, you know, heavy part, the, the breakdown kind of part that the crowd is going wild for and screaming out that kind of big mosh call that we like to put in songs just as much as I do from doing a part that sounds like it's a pop punk part or a part from Broadway, uh, mm -hmm. which is another one of our influences too, a big fan of um, – Les Miserables and Fam of the Opera in particular. And uh, if, if you listen to our music, you can hear that in a, in a lot of parts. Um, so it's a kind of an equal thing. For me, um, it's always more difficult to make the screaming and heavy parts interesting because I feel like there's so many ban bands doing that kind of stuff. And I want to be able to do it where it doesn't feel um, forced or, or feel like, oh, we're just going heavy here just to go heavy. I want to make every part um, have a place and be justified. Okay. And it, start, it seems like it's hard to, you know, if you want to go to radio and everything else, like it's hard to, to have that and still be able to go to, to radio and really expand, uh, you know, as a band, you know, unless you're, you know, already established as a you know, giant, like, like, uh, um, like Lamb of God or, or, you know, if I could, like some massive, huge band that's, that's, uh, you know, that's what people are expecting. Um, 
you know, having a lot of that like super, super strong melody and then putting the scream in, screaming in there, I could see radio being like, ah, I don't know about this. No, absolutely. I think we're, we're fortunate. We're, we're, we're one of those bands that throughout our entire catalog, especially, you know, since the point where we started to inject uh, on, you know, harsh vocals and, and not just clean singing into our catalog, we always had sprinkled in some songs that were just singing because, you know, I love that music too. And our fans have always embraced both sides of the band. Um, obviously, you know, there's some people in the middle that's, that prefer one or the other, or like the, the heavier stuff as opposed to the soft stuff. But it's really cool to see at our shows um, people going just as wild for the songs with clean vocals as they do for the screaming ones. And, and one of the bands that I, I can think of that, that, that also pulls that off so well as a band, like a day to remember, you know, they do very soft acoustic stuff that people love. And, and then they do vicious sounding things. And uh, I think uh, it all comes down to having a great following that, that uh, isn't jaded and isn't, like oh i only like this kind of thing from this band mm -hmm. yeah absolutely do you guys do um do you guys do the comic-con stuff at all it seems like that would be like a, a good spot for at least your fan base too like to to connect with you guys is that something that you guys have done before we haven't done any official comic-cons but we have done similar horror style conventions in the last few years I try to get that stuff done anytime we're not touring, but unfortunately a lot of those uh, great ones fall, you know, when we're, when we're in California and there's one on the East coast or, or vice versa, but we've had tremendous fun at, at, at those conventions and not only meeting uh, our fans that are, are, you know, our pre-existing fans, but meeting new people who don't necessarily know about the band and, and the way we have our, Booth displayed. We're, we're, you know, we're we're the band that turns your favorite horror films into music, and uh, we we've definitely spread the word quite a bit uh, at those conventions. Okay, that was such a cool idea, by the way, to do that with the at first the books and then the movies. You know, uh, uh, I, Mike had mentioned that idea to me, and I was like, that's interesting. I've never heard something like that before. And then as songs started rolling in, it started to make a lot more sense. Um, that was another, I mean, just a great marketing deal. And, but at the same time, tying into something that you're, you know, insanely passionate about. Um, yeah, was, that was a great idea. And, and, um, um, so how, how, I know you're, you're switched on to horror with, you know, being a fan of it and, you know, kind of living it in a way, but how, how switched on are you to the current horror scene? Like, are you, uh, to the point where you're making contacts with people in the business that are making these films to possibly make one of your own, write one of your own, or score some of them. Is that kind of on the radar at all for you? Yeah, I mean, that, that's obviously something for me that I, I'd love to continue to pursue. And uh, being in Los Angeles, it's such a it's such a great town for, for networking and stuff. And, and we've met some great people um, – that have actually, you know, in, in the horror world that have become fans of the band, uh, some executives at some of the, the movie studios like Blumhouse have, have uh, 
really taken a liking to the band, even like have come to our shows when we play in Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, it's just exciting to uh, to get love from uh, the industry, too. And, uh, you know, I've done a podcast uh, with Fangoria before. Uh, there's another podcast I'm doing this week um, with other uh, horror affiliates. And it's just uh, it's, it's cool to to be especially in a town like this where, you know, it's the movie business and, and to be doing this music that's so centered around that. Yeah. Have you had you come up with your own ideas for movies and, and things like that? Or are, is that something you would do? Or would you want to stay more on the the like the fan side, scoring it, adding to something else? No, I think uh, I, I I'd love to do our own film, and, and that we sort of dabbled in that with the last album with the series of music videos we put in, uh, and the DVD that's going to be coming out very soon has all of the videos tied into one story, um, and it comes in like a VHS VHS cassette box, but it slides out to have the DVDs. And, uh, yeah, you can be sure there's going to be a lot more film elements tied in in the future with whatever music we're doing. Man, that's awesome. That's, a, see, once again, that awesome marketing, man. Uh, yeah, that's killer. So what's – tell me – tell me. so with, with fans of, of, like, things like horror, Comic-Con, anything like that, there's been some weird experiences. Have you had any weird fan experiences, uh, weird gifts or um, things like that? Like I had um, not, not kind of similar, I guess, where – uh, uh, I had uh, Tatiana from Ginger on the show and we did it in person. And when I showed up, it was the last night of tour and she had no room left for her shit in her suitcases because so many people had brought her things, paintings, pictures. Um, and they have like a, a very dedicated fan base as well. Have you had any crazy or weird experiences with that? I think when you're, when you're a band like us, that's so, immersed in, in horror and, and these songs are revolving around such iconic things we're going to attract weird and, and that's that's our goal because we're weird we're weird guys we're doing a weird thing mm -hmm. so nothing really surprises me anymore but our fans have brought us every every time we do shows and vip meet and greets uh they bring us tons of fan drawings and and really clever uh, versions of their own songs but but drawn out and by the end of a tour our bus is just littered <laughs> littered with the stuff and we hang it up everywhere on the bus and, and we really do appreciate that kind of stuff so sure thank you has yeah. anyone brought you anything that you didn't know existed but like was something like holy shit like completed a collection or you know something where it really like set you apart like or set apart where you know um i guess it's kind of a broad question but the the i know sometimes people get like something was in their family or something or or that they brought as a gift that totally like blew your mind as far as like whoa it happened to do with like a movie or or anything like that yeah you know um a fan of ours that uh, has since become um a good friend of mine we actually had met him um, when we did this really cool thing revolving around one of the filming locations from the original screen. Um, uh, our friends Nate and Anthony set up this really awesome experience which allowed fans to come and visit the house that's used in the 
final act of Scream. And uh, they invited us there and we actually performed in the garage that, you know, that scene takes place that we were talking about earlier where mm-hmm. she says this shit on your garage thing. And that was a really cool experience. And uh, as sort of a thank you, they've given um, the, those two have given me some great gifts. And one one in particular was the actual lamp used in one of the scenes in Scream 4. It's covered in blood. And it's uh, you can see it very clearly in the scene in Scream 4 where the killer jumps out of the closet and just eviscerates this girl. And uh, it's, it's, it's on my nightstand. It's so it, that, that was uh, one of the first times I ever got like a screen used prop. And uh, you know, from one of my favorite franchises, that was a pretty cool gift. That's killer, dude. That's badass. It sits on your nightstand. That's awesome. That's it a special does, one. Yeah. <laughs> That's that is a special a, one. Definitely. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Dude, so okay, so tell me about tell me about uh, Jason's mom because I was I was literally on the roof of a hotel we were building, and I got a text from Mike. He's like, "I check this out," and I was like, "Okay." And I played. I had my Bluetooth speaker on, and it kicks in. And I'm like, "Jason's mom, what the hell is this? This is Stacy's mom." But then right. it kicked in. I was like, "Okay, this is Ice Nine. And it was fucking hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. This is before I saw the video for it or for it was released or anything. Where did you get the idea to do that? Because that was pure genius. Was this like a quarantine boredom thing where it's like, hey, this works. And then it turned into something. It's so funny how how ideas come about and uh, sort of retracing your steps to see how you got somewhere. This idea came from a call we had with our record label, Fearless, who were putting together this live stream event, which um, aired a couple of days ago, uh, called Fearless at Home. And they wanted us to do something for the event. And they they were asking me, you know, maybe we could do an acoustic version of one of our pre-existing songs. So I said, you know, let, let, let uh, let me think about what we could do and I'll get back to you. And I don't know where it came from. I was just thinking, I think... I was thinking about uh, Stacy's mom because, unfortunately, that that really talented guy Adam, who who wrote uh-huh. co-wrote that song, uh, you know, tragically passed away from from the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's maybe why that song has been in my head. But I, I've always really loved Fountains of Wayne, especially that song and Sink to the Bottom. Yeah. Uh, just great, like alternative rock songs from that sort of like heyday of, of alternative radio. I love that sound. And I started to think, Oh man, you know, Jason's mom, that would be so perfect um, to take that song and make it about Mrs. Voorhees. And I researched online and I couldn't believe no one had ever done that. At least I couldn't find any parody song that took that and, 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 did it with Jason. So, and then I I thought about that. And before I wrote the lyrics, I thought, Oh my God, it's mother's day next month. How perfect (laughs) is that? They were going to do this stream the day before mother's day. This is like just unbelievable coincidence. So I said, this is the idea. You know, it's like fate that this is all falling into place. And uh, I sat down and I, I, I wrote the song out. 
Um, and I went over to um, my bandmates Joe's house and he had a couple of really good lines that we used. And we uh, we recorded it and it, it was it was really cool. And it was a team effort. You know, everyone in the band did their own part and uh, it came together really, really great. And I was it was awesome to see that the reaction was so positive because we we always have an element of humor in the things that we do. You know, we do songs that can be very serious and graphic, um, but we do funny stuff, too. And I think there's always um that element involved in everything I do because I'm, I'm, I love not only a huge fan of horror, but I'm a big fan of comedy, you know, and especially like in music when it comes to bands like flight of the Concords or like even weird Al and tenacious D like that stuff always is really cool. Like Adam Sandler when he would do songs. So it was cool to see that uh, 99% of the people were like, Oh, this is awesome. Not like, Oh, you what did this heavy band is so cheesy. It's like if you're saying that you just you don't get what we're doing here, you yeah. know? Yeah. That well cheesiness and not that's maybe the uh uh a derogatory word in this case, but that I mean cheesy and horror go together. I mean, they always exactly. have. And if, so of course a band that's focused around horror is going to have some cheesy, but that's part of it. Like that's it, of course you guys, you know, no one takes themselves too seriously. It's all tongue in cheek, but like, it's, you know, if you want, if you want it to be, it can be extreme and brutal and serious, but at the same time it, you can go switch gears right over to something like Jason's mom. And it's hilarious, but it's also like, really good like the lyrics are ridiculous i love it and uh i didn't know when it first kicked in i thought it was going to be just the word you know jason's mom was going to be the chorus but then as i'm listening i'm like oh man they changed the whole thing this is perfect and then watching the video of course um you know and and have you been watching those goldfinger uh quarantine videos i did like, they were really cool dude yeah i don't know how they get everything to work with that like the but uh, it's awesome. And I love that. And when you guys did the video for uh, Jason's mom, where it's just, you know, going from member to member to member to member, uh, it's such a fucking weird time. But the stuff that's coming out of it is really, really interesting. And you're getting like some nostalgia pieces from people too, like things you normally wouldn't get because you just, you know, uh, they're going on tour next month, blah, blah, blah. You're not getting like these little behind the scenes or sneak peek stuff or uh, little extra things that you would have gotten otherwise. So it's cool for the fan, maybe not necessarily for the musician uh, that are struggling, you know, to remain afloat, but the fans are definitely getting a really cool once in a lifetime kind of experience with a lot of, of what people are doing. It's crazy. Um, but, and also shout out to Bob. Well, I was on fearless as well. An awesome label. And uh, Bob Becker, uh, I don't, is he still running the label? Yeah, he's still uh, definitely involved. He, he's always been really cool to Ice Nine Kills and uh, definitely one of the first people, uh, you know, outside of Mike, of course, that that believed in the band. And uh, he, him and I shared this funny story all the time. Uh, I was cleaning out a storage locker maybe a couple of years ago at my mom's house, just a, a box that I had filled with all sorts of nostalgic ink stuff and i came across this letter that it was a rejection letter from a label but it was really nice it was like you know we, we like the material which is not right fit at this time like keep please keep 
uh, keep working and, uh, you know, send us your stuff. And they sent me a sticker of the label. And this was probably something I'd sent out in like 2005 or something. And it was, uh, it was from fearless. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I told Bob about it and I took a picture of it. He was like, man, I definitely probably addressed that to you myself. Cause I used to do all that stuff back in that uh-huh. era. So we had a good laugh about that, man. That was, see, that was after we had just played. So were you around when grandma's around still? No, I don't think so. Okay. There's a funny story. You can ask Bob about it when we showed up. We wanted to test. We were in a bidding war with some other labels and wanted to test Fearless's allegiance if we would be able to do whatever we wanted. So we rushed the office there and, uh, like, tied up Graham and drug him out into the middle of the street and left him there uh, in front of his whole staff (laughs) just to see if he would let us completely embarrass him uh, and then keep wanting us to sign us. And they totally did. Uh, that is awesome. But in front of all the interns that he'd been bossing around, everybody else literally tied him up and, and put him out in the street. It was awesome. But uh, that's awesome, man. That label, that label's killer, man. And and uh, you're in a good spot. You know, good people working with you and and for you. And and uh, man, well, I got it. I don't know if you've been at. Maybe you have been asked this a, a hundred times. But it's the one thing that stuck out in my mind. Um, thinking about this today was if you were to be, if you were to be killed slasher movie style, what would you want to happen? Is there a way you would want to go that you would prefer after all the things you've seen through these movies? I definitely, uh, I feel bad for any guy that kills, gets killed in the movies that doesn't have sex. So I, I'd like to have sex and then be killed. I don't know. <laughs> I don't right at the climax. Just well, no, more like Kevin Bacon style when he's, you know, <laughs> he's had sex, he's comfortable in his bed, he's uh-huh. just smoking a joint, and then uh, then he gets, you know, an, an arrow through the, the back of his neck. I'd say I'd say probably that. I'll go with the Kevin Bacon yeah. style. That would be the after love making line from uh, Jason's mom. <laughs> or that, that's correct. Oh, man. I, that's one of the lines that literally made me laugh out loud. Like it was, I know we say LOL in Texas, but I was literally on the roof of a building by myself laughing hysterically. Uh, that is awesome. It was, it was, it was awesome, but dude, well, Spencer, thank you so much, man. I've had you on here an hour and, uh, it's been awesome. It's been a good chat and, and I appreciate, you know, the stuff you're putting out there and, and how, how, you know, how much work you're putting in. You know, it's awesome to see success, especially, you know, putting in the work for so many years that it's paying off, you know, and, and, uh, it's such an awesome story and, uh, you know, you're doing something unique and, uh, yeah. Cheers to you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was a really fun chat. Awesome, man. Well, we'll catch up next time you're in town. If, or if I'm down in, uh, in California rolling around, Mike's usually my driver. So, uh, I'm sure we'll run into each other right on brother. Take care, man. Thanks again. You bet. Bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. What an amazingly well-spoken, intelligent dude. Uh, I love talking to people like Spencer um, because I'm always inspired, and uh, I always learn something new. And, uh, you know, it's not – with him, it's not a rehearsed thing. It's just how he is. And that's something, you know, over the the years of, um, you know, kind of watching from the sidelines – you can tell when someone's, you know, uh, phoning it in, and he is not. So uh, go check out Ice Nine Kills. Uh, go check out Jason's mom on YouTube. 
I absolutely uh, swear to you, you will laugh your ass off. Especially, and I'm not even a horror fan, as I said before. So a lot of the, the inside stuff I didn't get, but it was still hilarious. So uh, there's something for everyone is what I'm getting at. So uh, anyways, check out the website, peerpleasurepodcast.com. Write me an email at peerpleasurepod uh, at gmail.com. And uh, definitely go tell some friends. If you guys, if if 2% of you guys listening right now, and I'm talking to you, if 2% of you went out and told five friends, this show would explode. I mean, it'd be astronomical. You know, exponential growth. It's uh, it's the thing we need to do this week. So I need 2% of you, yes, you, to go tell five friends about this show. Send them a link right now on your on your iPad, iPhone, whatever you have. Uh, even in Android, even you Android people, um, send a link to five friends. Say you're gonna dig this podcast that you think will dig it, and uh, we'll see what happens. I'll report back. But uh, yeah, that's your call to action this week. Tell five friends, text them, email them, call them, wrangle them around the neck, and just you know say hey, fucking sign up for this right now. Subscribe to this. You'll like it. Anyway, uh, I am going to get out of here. I appreciate you guys so much. Um, I love you guys. You guys are amazing. And, uh, you know, having an audience is such an interesting thing and a precious thing. And I do not take it for granted. Every one of you that listens to this show uh, makes it makes it uh, worth doing. It makes it special. And, uh, yeah, I mean it. From the bottom of my heart, guys, thank you so much week after week. Um, yeah, let's bring in some more people. And get them on board. We'll make this community even bigger. And uh, yeah, big things coming. Announcements coming. Uh, Stay tuned. Rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss those. And uh, yeah, if you're still listening right now, I don't know why. But uh, thank you for listening this far. All right, guys. We'll see you on the radio. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. 
Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.